You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Hi everyone, um, we are in Malachi today, um, end of chapter 2 and then a little bit of chapter 3. So read along with me. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Good. Well, uh, hopefully you've got the uh, your Bible open. It'd be great to keep it open. Uh, there's an outline of my sermon on the welcome card that I've mentioned a couple of times. Uh, But yeah, let's pray. Uh, Gracious Father, thanks that we can gather together as your people this afternoon. Uh, Thanks that you're always eager to speak to us. Uh, Please give us hearts and minds that are eager to listen to you. Uh, Give us humble hearts uh, that are ready to receive your word and be changed by it, be encouraged by it, be convicted by it. Uh, Please, Father, be at work, we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Well, I do wonder if you've ever found yourself thinking, is it really worth living as a Christian? Is it worth it? Like, like what's the point? Why should I bother anymore? That, that kind of sentiment. I've certainly found myself in that position. I was uh, born and raised in a Christian home. Uh, I probably can't remember a time when I haven't believed in God. I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. Uh, But in my second year of university, I found myself at a point where I was thinking, is it really worth living as a Christian? It came about because I was studying philosophy at uni. Uh, It was, I guess, when the whole thing of like postmodernism, if you know that word, and pluralism was all the rage. Uh, People were actually talking about it. Uh, As in, all the kind of systems of spirituality and religion are exactly the same. That was the basic idea. In my philosophy classes, all my lecturers were saying that, all my fellow students were saying that. Uh, Many of them knew that I was a Christian. And so they would say to me, Aaron, you do realise that there's nothing particularly unique about Christianity. All the forms of spirituality are essentially just different paths up the same mountain. To use a Christmas illustration, they're exactly the same gift, just in different wrapping paper. That's what all the different religions are. And so over a period of months of constantly being kind of told this and having it drummed into me in my classes, 
I found myself getting to a point where I was like, you know, if Christianity is just the same as everything else, why am I kind of taking it so seriously? Why am I giving and serving and suffering and sacrificing so much for this faith that in the end, in an ultimate sense, doesn't matter that much? At least that's how I felt. What's the point of living as a Christian? Is it really worth it? I wonder if you've ever had those sort of thoughts. Or maybe, even as you sit here today, you're having those thoughts. I'm not sure. What might make you have those thoughts? Perhaps you're working away in, a, in your workplace, in your chosen profession. Uh, you're doing your best to conduct yourself as a Christian, you know, with uh, humility and honesty and integrity and real skill to the task at hand. And yet... When it gets to the end of the year, it's your non-Christian colleague who really couldn't care less about God. I mean, they're lovely, but they couldn't care less about God at all. It's them who gets the promotion or the Christmas bonus. And you're thinking, is it really worth it? Like, what's the point in living as a Christian? Or maybe there are some people here who have been uh, maybe trying to find someone who might marry you for a really long time. Not because you're deficient in your singleness in any way, shape or form at all, but just because sometimes you really long to have someone to share life with, a close friend, a dear companion. You long for that. And as you've been on this journey to try and find someone to marry, to share life with, you've really tried to, quote unquote, do everything right, do it Christianly, you know? You've kept working on your relationship with Jesus. You've stayed connected with Christian community. You've made that in-principle decision. Every time someone who's not a Christian comes up on the dating app, you just flip to the next slide, right? Like, you've made that decision. I'm not going to date someone who's not a Christian. And yet, here you are. You're still single. And many of your family, your friends, your colleagues who don't really care about Jesus at all, They've partnered up and they seem really happy. So you're left thinking, is it really worth it? Living as a Christian. Maybe you should just go with the flow and join everyone else. But these are the kind of thoughts and feelings that the people of God were experiencing in Malachi's day. And you could summarise Malachi's message to them in today's passage uh, in light of the coming of Jesus that we're remembering at Christmas. You could summarise Malachi's message as it is worth living as a Christian because in Jesus the God of justice has come and he will come again. That's my my summary of Malachi's uh, message. It is worth living as a Christian Because in Jesus, the God of justice has come and he will come again. But don't take my word for it, right? Let's take a look at the passage and we'll see if you agree with me that that's a reasonable kind of summary of this passage. So first, take a look at chapter 2, verse 17, the end of Malachi chapter 2, where you'll see there that Israel are repeatedly crying out, where is the God of justice? And notice first in verse 17, Malachi says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. God finds certain things that the Israelites have been saying about him uh, to be really quite tedious. He's tired of it. He's fed up with it. They weary him. The people of God say, well, how have we wearied you? 
Like, what exactly have we been saying that's been getting on your nerves? So Malachi explains. He says, first, you've been wearying the Lord when you say... Uh, Sorry, let let me find my uh, spot in my notes. Uh, When you say all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. So you get the picture that the Israelites have been uh, looking at the people around them, uh, people who don't really care about the God of Israel, who don't care about his ways, people who they might label as evil, And they've been observing that those people, on balance, seem to be doing even better than the people of Israel. They're prospering, they're succeeding, they're kicking goals in life. And so they're starting to think, what's the point in living for God? What's the point in that? God seems to be pretty pleased with those people, he can't be that unhappy with them, they're so successful and prosperous, you see. And if you're a Christian, I'm sure you've had those sort of thoughts and feelings too, if you've been a Christian for any length of time. And maybe you look at those who aren't choosing to follow Jesus and you observe that their life does seem to be a little bit less complicated in some ways. They don't have all the same struggles that you have as a Christian. Maybe the same hardships, the same pressures the same tensions about, is this, uh, is this in line with how Jesus would want me to live? They don't have any of that. Just live however they want. Right? So on the one hand, life seems less complicated and easier. On the other hand, so often they seem to get ahead more in life, experiencing more comfort and pleasure and satisfaction and positions of status and influence. And like the people of Israel, you're thinking, is it worth it? Why, God can't be that unhappy with those people. Maybe I'll just join them. That's the first thing the people of Israel are saying. The second thing uh, is in the second half of verse 17 where they say, where is the God of justice? It's really the same thing, just uh, from a different perspective, a different angle. They're saying, where is your justice, God? As I look at the world around me, it just doesn't seem fair. You're supposed to be a God who punishes those who do the wrong thing and rewards those who do the right thing. Right? Punishes those like those evil people over there and rewards people like me. So God, why don't you turn up and give me what I deserve? Give me what I'm entitled to. Where is the God of justice? And now earlier in Malachi, if you want to go home later on, you can read the first part of Malachi. Uh, you'll see that the people of Israel in Malachi's day are really just going through the motions in their faith. They're really struggling spiritually. Uh, Malachi points out how um, uh, they're giving God their worst rather than their best. Uh, They're being really slack about obeying God. Uh, They're being casual and complacent about sin in their lives. And I think chapter 2 verse 17 in many ways is the root cause for all of that. What's the root cause? It's that they are deeply cynical and bitter about God's goodness. Why they expect God to turn up, to show up, to come and bring his justice, to give them what they deserve for all their service and sacrifice and suffering. They expect God to do that and the more he doesn't do that, the more bitter and cynical they become and the more they're saying, is it really worth living for God? 
And so they have this deep-seated bitterness and cynicism towards God in their hearts. Is it worth living for God? And that's what God answers in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. God says it is worth living for him because one day he, as the God of justice, will come and he'll bring his justice, setting all things right, to the entire world. So how, should, how does God want the people of Israel to respond to this incredible reality that one day he, as the God of justice, is going to come and bring his justice? First, take a look at chapter 3, verse 1. Malachi says you should respond by being assured. Verse 1, God says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Uh, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Uh, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Right? Israel says, where is the God of justice? And God says, I'm coming. Like I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. And see, this is the problem for Israel. It's so often the problem for us. Israel expected to see all of God's justice right now in the present the final accounting of all things to happen. Uh, but God says they have to wait. How long do they have to wait? Well, to answer that, we've got to take a closer look at chapter 3, verse 1, and really work out how many different people there are in chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, yeah, take, take a look at that verse. How many people do you think there are, or persons, described in chapter 3, verse 1? I think there's three, at least three, right? First, there's the Lord Almighty. That's the kind of small caps Lord, if you've got a Bible, the Lord Almighty who's speaking, the Lord Almighty who says he's going to send his messenger. But then you've got the messenger who the Lord Almighty says he's going to send. That's the second person, the messenger who's going to prepare the way for who? For the Lord. But notice that that second Lord is different, even in our English Bibles. It's not a small caps Lord, it's a capital L-O-R-D. This is the Lord that Israel are seeking, the Lord that they want to come. So there's three people active in this verse. And this Lord that Israel is seeking, capital L-O-R-D, that Lord is Jesus. He is the God of justice who comes at Christmas to bring God's justice to the entire world, not just to Israel, but to the entire world. But you might say, but as I look at the world, I don't really see every injustice sorted out, every evildoer being punished. I don't really see that as I look at the world. And that's because just as Israel had to wait for Jesus to come the first time, Right, to start bringing God's justice to the world, we've got to wait for Jesus to come the second time to finish bringing God's justice to the world. Right? God fulfills this promise in Malachi 3 verse 1 in two stages. You could think of it like a mountain range. There's the first stage, which is a little foothill, and then there's the mountain. Right? It's all sort of part of the same, uh, the same mountain, but there are different stages of fulfilment. That's what happens here. And so uh, the first stage in which God says, yes, I'm coming as the God of justice, is when Jesus came at Christmas. Right? The writers of the Gospels understood this. Uh, in fact, uh, if you've got a Bible open uh, and you can flick fairly quickly, uh, why don't you flick to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. 
Uh, If you're not familiar with flicking around the Bible, uh, Mark is the second book of the New Testament. There's Matthew first and then Mark. And so if you've got a table of contents, you should be able to find it uh, fairly easily. The second book in the New Testament, Mark chapter 1 from verse 1. Uh, And when you get to Mark chapter 1, you'll see from verse 1 that Mark says, uh, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So Mark's flagging, hey, I'm about to quote from Isaiah the prophet. But first, he actually quotes from Malachi. Notice Mark says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. He's quoting from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It's only then in verse 3, if you scan down, that Mark quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. That's a verse that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And then in verse 4, if you've got Mark 1 open, you'll see that Mark says, So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You see what Mark's saying as he writes his biography of Jesus' life? He's saying that John the Baptist is the messenger of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The messenger that God promised would come to prepare the way for the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Like the Lord who is Jesus. Who is John the Baptist preparing the way for? He's preparing the way for Jesus. So as far as Mark is concerned, Jesus is the God of justice who's come the first time when he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. That is the God of justice coming to ultimately set all things right in this world. But he hasn't finished the job yet. We just said that. We look at our own lives and our lives are full of mess. We look at the world and it's full of injustice. And so for the complete clean-up job to be done, for God, for Jesus to bring all of God's justice to the world, uh, we have to wait for Jesus to come again. That's when he'll fully bring God's justice. So I know that's like a, a little bit of detail. Maybe you've got questions, right? But the upshot of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, is that God's people say, where is the God of justice? Life isn't fair. People who don't know you, don't care about you, seem to be getting rewarded more than I am. And God says, be assured. Because the God of justice will come. For us, on this side of Jesus coming, we say, be assured. Because the God of justice has come. And he will come again. So it really is worth living as a Christian. That will be clear to everyone. When Jesus comes again, be assured, God says. Uh, Second, God says, be worried, which might seem a bit uh, counterintuitive, but he says be worried because uh, when Jesus comes as the God of justice, uh, when he comes a second time in particular, he won't just be coming to judge those kind of bad people over there. Uh, He'll be coming to judge all of us. He'll be coming to judge you. Notice the start of verse 2, Malachi chapter 3, verse 2. Malachi says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? The people of Israel thought, well, finally God is going to come. He says he's going to come. Uh, When he comes, he's going to sort out those evil, bad people over there. We'll be fine. Uh, But he'll judge those bad people. But Malachi says, don't be so cocky. 
Don't be so proud and arrogant. Don't be so confident in your own goodness before God. When God comes in Jesus to bring justice to the world, he's not going to be just judging the people over there. He's going to be judging you. And notice Malachi says, are you really confident that you can survive God's judgment? And now, if you're here and you're a Christian, which I know many of you are, you might think, well, I'm not supposed to be worried about God's judgment, am I? I thought I'd been told I could be confident in the face of God's judgment. And that's true. Absolutely true. But only if you're humble enough to admit that the only way you can survive God's judgment has nothing to do with you and your goodness. Has everything to do with Jesus. Or you can be confident if you're humbly enough, humble enough to confess your sins before God, humble enough to admit that Jesus is your only hope of surviving God's judgment, then you can be confident. But that's not Israel in Malachi's day. Israel are full of pride before God. They're cynical about God. They're bitter towards God. They're confident not in God's goodness, but in their own goodness. And so Malachi says, be worried. Your confidence is in the wrong place. You ought to humble yourselves and depend exclusively on the Lord. And he says you ought to be worried because notice verse 5. These are the kind of behaviours that the people of Israel have slipped into. Christina read all of them out before. And they're not an overly kind of flattering list, are they, in verse 5? You see, the Israelites ought to be worried as they've been living their lives, they've seen uh, people who aren't a part of God's people uh, living in these, well, frankly, sinful ways. Uh, let's take one of those words from verse 5. Uh, it's adultery. Right, so the people of God have seen people around them uh, committing adultery, uh, and they've seen that, by and large, their lives don't seem to turn out that badly. That's maybe their observation. And so they think to themselves, well, you know, God doesn't seem to notice. He doesn't seem to care. Uh, so maybe, you know, I won't commit adultery because, you know, that's crossing too many lines for me. Uh, but I will mess around a bit sexually. And so the people of God are kind of drifting uh, into the ways of the people around them. Or there's another one there about uh, bosses who defraud their workers of their wages. The people of Israel are looking at the, at the business up the road of someone who, who doesn't know God at all, and they're saying, gee, you know, that guy is pretty dodgy in his business practices, but his business seems to go from strength to strength. So maybe in my business, I'll start cutting a few corners too. God doesn't seem to notice, doesn't seem to care if he does notice. But what's Malachi's message? Malachi's message is that God does notice and he does care. And when he comes to judge, if you take a kind of, if you're kind of casual and complacent about sin in your life and you just presume that you're going to coast through God's judgment, confident in your own goodness and performance, uh, Malachi's message is be worried because you will not survive God's judgment. So, on the other hand, what should we do? We should be humbled, humbled before God admitting that Jesus is our only hope. And the message here in Malachi chapter 3 uh, is that if we're humble before God like that, uh, God will purify us through Jesus. Now look at the rest of verse 2. 
Our God says that when he comes as the God of justice, what's he going to be like? There's two pictures here. One is of a refiner's fire. That's a fire that doesn't consume things completely, but purifies them. Like the purification process of silver or gold, getting rid of all the impurities. It's a refiner's fire. Uh, Also launderer's soap. What, the launderer's soap didn't destroy the pair of clothes altogether? It just cleaned away all the impurities. So the promise here is uh, that if you are humble before God, you'll experience the coming of the God of justice, uh, not to be something that consumes you so that you don't survive his judgment, uh, but to be something that purifies you, that makes you clean. Uh, And see the purpose of all this in verses 3 and 4? I won't read those verses out, but the purpose is that God would finally receive the worship that he deserves. Worship that is holy and pleasing to him. And once again, we see that just as Jesus brought God's justice into the world in two stages, once when he was born at Christmas and once when he comes again, so also this purifying work that God does through Jesus will happen in two stages. Once when he came the first time and once when he returns. So the first time Jesus came, how did Jesus kickstart this work of purifying us? Well, he gave us his spirit. His spirit is described as a refiner's fire, a spirit that purifies, that cleanses people on the inside, not just washing them clean on the outside. So in Matthew chapter 3, for example, in verse 11, Uh, John the Baptist uh, says this about Jesus. Remember, John's preparing the way for Jesus. He says, I baptise you with water for uh, for repentance, but after me will come uh, one who is more powerful than than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's saying, I hope you can hear Malachi chapter 3 in the background of what John is saying. John the Baptist is saying, I'm just coming to prepare the way for someone who's greater than me. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who comes with a refiner's fire. The power of God's spirit that actually has the ability to wash people clean on the inside. And as people's hearts are purified by the power of God's spirit, they put their trust uh, in the cleansing power of Jesus' death. His death, which is a lot like a launderer's soap. A soap that washes us clean of every sin. So in 1 John chapter uh, chapter 1, verses 7 to 9, uh, we read this. Uh, John says that the blood of Jesus, God's son, purifies us from all sin. It washes us clean. Uh, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just uh, and will forgive us for our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, maybe you don't have one John open, but you you can maybe see the contrast here. John says, uh, if like the Israelites, we arrogantly claim to be without sin, If, like the Israelites, we're confident in our own goodness and performance before God, John says we're just deceiving ourselves. And Malachi would say, what hope have you got of surviving God's judgment? None. On the other hand, John says, 
If we're humble enough to confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness through the blood of Jesus. And John says that is a faithful and just thing for the just God to do. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus bore the fullness of God's judgment in our place. He endured the fullness of God's judgment, so we don't have to. If only we're humble enough to trust in him. To trust in his goodness, not our own goodness. His righteousness, not our own righteousness. Uh, We will be clothed in his purity and his perfection and his glory. Uh, So this is the first stage of the purifying work of Jesus. He purifies us on the inside by his refining fire, the power of the spirit. And then he moves us to trust in his death on the cross, uh, which is able to cleanse us from every spiritual impurity. And yet, if you're anything like me, you're deeply conscious that as much as Jesus' purifying work in your life has commenced, it's not done yet. My life is full of mess and impurity. And I'm sure you're not that different. And so we look forward to when Jesus returns and the purifying job will be done. Uh, John, uh, 1 John again, he's writing to those who humbly trust in Jesus. Uh, And in chapter 3, verse 2, he says this. He says, uh, dear friends, uh, now we are children of God, uh, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Uh, But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, When Christ appears for a second time, John says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, Malachi chapter 3 says that when the God of justice appears, people in their sin cannot stand in his presence, cannot possibly endure his coming. He's just too pure and glorious and holy and perfect. You try to stand in his presence, it's like walking on the surface of the sun, you'll be destroyed. But if you're purified by the power of God's spirit on the inside and clothed in the purity of Jesus by trusting in his death on the cross, then when Jesus returns and you see him in all his glory and purity and holiness, you won't be obliterated, you'll be gloriously transformed. You will be like him, completely purified by Jesus every stain washed away, every blemish removed, every impurity purged off, completely purified by Jesus. So let me urge you this day, don't take the path that the Israelites were on, of being confident in your own goodness before God, proud before God. Instead, humbly confess your sins to God and cling to Jesus in faith, knowing that through Jesus... A God will graciously purify you. Refine as fire, launder as soap. Finally, Malachi says, be warned. Because when God comes, he may be coming to put you on trial. Notice that in verse 5, God says, I will come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against you. Right? The Israelites were confident in their own goodness before God and they thought that when God turns up, we'll just be able to coast through. If there's any trial, any judgment, no worries. 
God, like we're, we're clean, right? God won't have anything on us. God says, I've got lots on you. I've got plenty of evidence to condemn you. Be warned about that, God says. That's God's warning. But notice that he's warning. If you've got Malachi chapter 3 open, not just the, today's passage, but if you scan down to Malachi chapter 3 verse 7, uh, God almost never warns his people like this uh, to finally condemn them. He warns them to convict them of their sin and bring them back to him. Notice in verse 7, God says, Return to me and I will return to you. So there is a real warning here. But if, like Israel, you, you kind of arrogantly think that I'm just going to coast through God's judgment when he comes, uh, you ought to be warned. Uh, but there's an encouragement too. Uh, that you're here today and you're hearing this warning. Uh, and you have an opportunity to hear the heart of God for you. Uh, that in his grace and mercy and compassion, he's eager for you to return to him. Uh, that he might return to you. So let me wrap this up by just uh, speaking to maybe two or three different types of people who could be here. I'm not going to capture everyone, but I'm wondering how you're feeling as we near Christmas this year about living as a Christian. And perhaps some of you, on the one hand, can uh, relate to the people of Israel. Uh, you're struggling in your spiritual life, you're struggling with sin. Uh, you feel some real apathy about serving Jesus. You sense some bitterness and cynicism in your heart towards God, some doubts about God's goodness. And that thought, maybe not so much in those words, but that thought, is it worth living as a Christian, has maybe popped into your mind. Uh, well, if that's you, I want you to hear the encouragement from this passage. Please be assured. Be assured because in Jesus... The God of justice has come and he will come again and when he comes again, it'll be clear to you and to everyone that it was worth living as a Christian. It'll be abundantly clear. It may not be clear now. Sometimes it's a bit fuzzy. But when Jesus comes again as the God of justice, it will be clear. Please be assured. Uh, on the other hand, there might be someone here uh, who's actually, you listen to that person and the description of the person who's struggling in your bit, uh, a bit uh, in their faith, and you think, actually, Aaron, I'm a bit further along than that. I'm not just kind of struggling with sin. I've actually kind of started running towards sin, surrendering to sin. I'm not just having kind of intermittent doubts about God's goodness, but it's really how I feel all the time towards God. Cynical and bitter towards God. I've actually recently decided maybe I'm going to throw in the towel on Christianity. Well, if that's you, I want you to—I do want you to hear the warning in today's passage. But most of all, I want you to read again Malachi chapter three, verse seven. What is God's heart for you? He says, "Return to me, and I will return to you." It is worth living as a Christian. It may not feel like that today. But in the scheme of eternity, when the God of justice in Jesus comes back again, it'll be clear to you and to everyone that it's worth living as a Christian. And so why don't you talk to me or to someone else at DPC that you trust? If you're really struggling and thinking about throwing in the towel, uh, please talk to someone about that. Please return to the Lord that he might return to you.
And finally, I'm sure there are a bunch of people here who are just wholeheartedly giving yourselves to living for Jesus. And I just want to say, keep going. You know, be encouraged. You don't have to drum up some hidden struggles. <laughs> you know, like, if things are going well, be encouraged. Be encouraged that it is worth living as a Christian. Your suffering, the struggles, the sacrifice, it's all worth it. Because the God of justice has come and he will come again. And when he comes again, what will he say to those who've remained faithful to him, in clinging to him in faith and in serving him? He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And he'll say, today is your day to join me in paradise. It is worth living as a Christian. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. Uh, we thank you that, uh, as much, that this may not be a, an aspect of the Christmas story that we consider very often, uh, but we thank you for the reminder uh, that in Jesus' coming at Christmas, you, the God of justice, have come. You've started that process of bringing your justice into the world, setting all things right, cleaning up the mess, purifying things, washing things clean. And we thank you for the assurance that because you kept your promise uh, to come the first time, the promise that we read in Malachi, uh, that we can be assured that you'll come a second time and finish that great clean-up project and bring your justice that all of us long for to the entire world. So please, Father, encourage us this day uh, that it really is worth living as a Christian. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.